0: Alright, hello. Welcome all. Welcome to the May Nick Peed APE collaborative. So I'm sharing my screen. And let's go ahead and get started. I'm Dr. Melissa Bitner and I am at Long Beach State, and I am the chair of the Nick Pede um, Membership Subcommittee. And today we have our last APE Collaborative of the academic year. And we have three APE Teachers of the Year. We have Kasha Givenrod, Jen Hebink, and Katie Smith with us today. Each are going to present for about 10 minutes of their favorite um, APE teaching tips. And at the very end, we will open it up to our audience for some question and answer. As always, we are recording this and we'll post it to our Nickpeed YouTube site. We're currently live on the NICPEED Facebook page. And this will also be a future edition of the What's New and Adapted PE Podcast. A big thank you to our Nickpeed membership subcommittee this year, we have Danielle Musser, who again successfully did the, just recently this past weekend, the second annual Colorado APE conference. She's the director there. We have Andy Pitchford from Oregon State University. Heidi Ambrosius from Moreno Valley, uh, Unified School District. And uh, yes, hearts to Heidi here, she's doing well. We texted a few days ago, so she's recovering. Um, So yeah, hearts hearts out to Heidi. I'm Dr. Melissa Bittner from Long Beach State and Lainey Case from Chico State University. So thanks to our membership subcommittee. Our first uh, APE Teacher of the Year, we've got Kasha Givenrod and she is at Berea Unified School District, not too far from, from Long Beach. So actually I'm so lucky that some of our students At Long Beach, you get to go observe her and we'll have, sounds like a student teacher with her in the fall. So, so lucky that our students get to learn from her. She's taught for 16 years, six in general physical education, 10 in adapted PE, teaches, you know, preschool all the way through post-secondary. Let's see, oh, extras, the 2020 Parenting Orange County Magazine Teacher of the Year, 2020 Capered APE Teacher of the Year, 2022 Shape America Western District APE Teacher of the Year and Red Camp Advisory Board member. So, big shout out to Kasha. We'll let her take it from here.
1: All right, awesome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, I am excited to just share some tips and tricks that I think have really kind of guided success in my program, and um, hopefully, you guys can take a piece of it and throw it into yours uh, to do the same. So. One of the things that I think is super important is inclusion, um, but inclusion done right. And I think that uh, when I think of inclusion, Unified PE and Unified Sports is like one of the biggest things that's been a game changer in my programs. If you are not familiar with Unified PE or Unified Sports, please get familiar with it. Um, Go see a program near you to investigate what it looks like. How it works for them it's super flexible but the main idea is that half of the students have special needs half do not they're paired together and they do activities together um, as one group and so it's amazing it's been a game changer like i said for my students it is something that special olympics um, provides a lot of support for so you can always go and seek out your local special olympics rep and they can help guide you through starting it But I'm not going to go. I could talk for hours about this, but I'm not going to because I have 10 minutes. Um, But I am definitely a huge proponent of unified PE and unified sports. So please check those out. Um, The next thing I want to talk about is just some things that whether it's in my adapted PE class or whether it's how I help other general education PE teachers support students with special needs in their classes. These are the things that I found to be really successful and really helpful. So the first is routines. Oh my gosh, routines are huge. Find good routines that work and stick to them. I think that when I look at my students on my caseload, the majority of them have autism and I cannot even tell you how routines are key for them to be successful in learning. Students with autism a lot of times have a really hard time with the abstract. So that anticipation of not knowing what comes next can be really anxiety filling and really, really hard for them. So routines help my students be calm, be regulated. They know what to expect and they can be better learners in my class. I also like to use a variety of equipment choices. So because I teach unified, I always have, you know, my gen ed students, some of them are elite athletes. And then I have my students in APE that have significant gross motor delays and kind of everything in between. So I just make sure to bring a variety of equipment choices for them so that they can pick whatever helps them be the most successful. Um, thats That's been a game changer too. So a variety of equipment choices is key. I also feel like education is big. I, when I look at teachers or students who don't know how to include our students with special needs, a lot of times it's because it's kind of like they're afraid of what they don't understand. So the greatest power we have is to educate people. So go out and do ability awareness education for students or for staff members in your district. And that can mean a huge world of difference to how our students with special needs are included in different classes, on campus, in social groups, things like that. So that's been a game changer for me too. Um, Definition of success. This is something that I talk to a lot of general PE teachers about when they talk to me about, well, I have this activity but the students with special needs can't do it. And I always kind of invite them nicely to uh, examine what their definition of success is because we as teachers, we are the ones who define that for our students in our class. So when we look at, okay, well, what is the goal for your students? And can that look different depending on where the student's skill level is? Yes. Okay, cool. So we're able to define that success level. And that definition is what allows our students to be able to work, play, and be successful in that activity. So that's been a big, big thing that's helped out a lot too. Um, For Unified in particular, cooperative activities have been huge. So each semester, when I get a new crop of Gen Ed kids that come in to support and work with my students, it really is. Uh, kind of, they enter like deer in headlights. They look at me like, "What do I do? What I I, I don't? Can I do what? What do I do? How do I do it?" Um, so I really like to start the semester with cooperative activities because it's kind of like a really quick way to rip off that bandaid of we're awkward and uncomfortable because we don't know if we can work together. Because it really forces them to work together. Um, so cooperative activities are huge. It's a great way to start off your year or your semester. If you're doing an inclusion model uh, class, because again, it just really kind of forces them into it. And then the rest of the semester goes way smoother because they've already been doing it and they've kind of been guided along the way. And my last thing that's huge is visuals. Visuals are so big. I know that Jen and Katie are big on visuals too. I think that anytime we work with any students, but in particular, our students with autism, that auditory language can be really overwhelming and just kind of too much overstimulating. And so if we can provide visuals for our students, it will really help them be successful and again, be regulated, be ready to learn. So those are some strategies in my class. I also, nope, you're good, you can skip. Um, I use stations a lot. And so I wanted to kind of share some tips and tricks with utilizing stations in my class. I love stations for a lot of reasons. The first one is that there's a huge amount of skill variety you can use with stations. So let's say I have 10 stations up for my lesson that day. My kids can practice 10 different skills and it's awesome. They love the variety aspect of it. So I love that stations can provide that. I don't have to plan these big group activities. It can be little stations of skill development for 10 different skills. It also can provide on the flip side of that repetition. So let's say I want to do throwing. I can do 10 different throwing stations. And instead of me just saying, okay, kids, go throw for 30 minutes, they would look at me and be like, you're crazy. Um, I can have them going to their 10 different stations and have a different piece of equipment to throw or have a different target that they're throwing at, at each station. And it feels new and they don't notice that they've been throwing the whole class time. So I love that part of it. Um, I like to say that it is uh, my shiny teaching strategy because every time they rotate to a new station, something new and shiny is there to engage them. And that's the next part. It really does increase attention and engagement with my students when I'm teaching. Again, if my students heard go throw for 30 minutes, I'd lose them after four, maybe. (laughs) And with stations, that buzzer goes off every two minutes. And they rotate to the next thing and there's something new and shiny to keep their attention, to keep them engaged, and to motivate them to want to try again. So I love using stations for that reason too. If you're doing inclusion model teaching or if you're using unified PE, stations is a great way to use that peer-to-peer instruction. They're really able to help each other in kind of like a more successful environment because they're Not isolated, but those smaller groups of our small group, right? So it really does kind of lend itself to those peers getting to work together nicely and tightly and successfully. Um, It also provides autonomy. So those equipment choices that I talked about on the last slide, I can, instead of having to bring a class set of all of those pieces of equipment, I can just bring a couple things for that one station and the kids can get there, choose the equipment that helps them feel successful and then they're able to get right after it and get going. So I like that autonomy piece too, where they can choose what helps them be successful. And it increases activity time. If I can stop talking and they can start moving, that makes me happy. So with stations, I'm able to provide visuals, which I'm gonna show you on the next slide. And that allows me to talk less and the kids to get to a station and move more. So our last thing, cause I have two minutes left. I set a timer. Dr. Bittner, because I don't want to go over time because I like to talk. You're fine. It's all good. No (laughs) worries. I feel like I haven't breathed this entire time. I apologize. (laughs) But um, just to go over some equipment that helps my stations process work smoothly. The first thing is station signs. So I make these visuals every single time I do stations for every single station we do. It always has a title, it has a picture of what the students will be doing, and it has a brief description at the bottom of directions for how to do it. So whether it's an aide that's coming from the classroom to work with a small group at a station, they can go there, read the sign, know exactly what to do with their students whether it's a unified buddy group that goes to a station, they can go read the sign. It, it just makes things so much easier. And like I said, totally reduces the amount of whole group instruction that I need to be providing. And my kids can move more. I hold them with those uh, top of the cone smart doc sign holders that you can get from gopher. Those have been a game changer. I love them. They hold all my stuff really nicely, really well. Um, they don't fly away. And, um, again, those visuals are really key. So that's kind of a support system to my support system. Um, so then I also use a speaker. I used to carry around those big, huge, uh, block tube ones. Um, I can't, I can't do those anymore. I have a small, but mighty speaker <laughs> that fits in my backpack. It's a JBL. I love it because every time we do stations, we use music to play during the stations and an interval timer. Because as you can tell, I talk a lot and I can't be trusted to keep time and rotate my students when they're supposed to be rotated. So I use an interval timer to keep me on track and keep it honest and, um, and consistent. And I use an interval timer that plays the buzzer over my music. Um, not all of them do that. So I put the one that I use. There's a ton out there, but this one I like because it does play the buzzer over the music. And for music, my only recommendation is try to maybe use something that you can create your own playlists. I have learned not to trust what other people think is clean. Um, For my students, I have done many quick dashes to my iPad to skip (laughs) songs, but I like to use Spotify. I do have a Spotify account that I have created um, lots of different themed playlists on, and that kind of helps out. So that was a lot of information in a short amount of time. But if you have questions, please feel free to email me. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, But I hope you guys got something out of that that you can use. (laughs) And I know that Jen and Katie have awesome information to share too. So that's
0: it. (laughs) Yay. Thanks, Kasha. Uh, Next, we have Jen Hebink from Buffalo High School, Buffalo Community Middle School in Minnesota. She's. I've uh, been teaching adapted physical education for 12 years. She was the 2020 Minnesota Shape APE Teacher of the Year, the 2022 Central District APE Teacher of the Year, and the 2022 Shape America National Adapted PE Teacher of the Year. Woo! And Jen, I believe you're going to go ahead and share your screen. All right, here we yep. go. Yes.
2: So I have a few videos that I'm hoping will work. So I'm going to try and share Oh, host disabled persis- participant screen sharing. So here's oh, no what we're going to do, Melissa. If you can't get me to sw- So let's oh, use yours. No, I got, you. You, I got, got you. you. You're okay. good. Okay. okay. Let's see. There we go. There we go. We got it. Um, so I'm just going to do this real quick and then pop into our slideshow where I am. There. How's it look? Give me a thumbs up to going? Yes. Awesome. Uh, yes, all good. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So, I'm just going to share like a few like adapted PE hacks that have really just helped me just really quick simple things that I have really um kind of gotten into the last couple of years and some things have come like literally like as I'm in the middle of class like grabbing things off the shelf and saying, "Hey, this is g- going to work today." So, I just want to share some of those things um because I think they'd be really helpful for you. Um, The first thing I want to share, I'm going to move this guy down here, um, is just some of the tech stuff that I've put out into the world. If you want to connect with me and see some of the things I do with my classroom, Twitter is really the place for me to do that. Um, And so I've shared a lot on Twitter um, with Unified and Adapted PE and stuff like that. So connect with me definitely on Twitter and there is such a cool community of Adapted PE and general PE teachers out there that are doing amazing things. Um, And then if you want to connect with me, have a question after, go ahead and email me at my school address. Um, email address. And then something I started this last year was actually a TikTok for adapted PE. So I'm hoping that the media works so I can show you some of the videos that I've put out. I do TikTok to um, not necessarily highlight my classroom or students because I have it out to the world, but definitely some of those adaptations, modifications, and um, equipment that I use. So that's kind of where I'm going with those three things. So I also wanted to share another tech area that I love, and that is the Mindape YouTube, um, which is a really awesome resource. We actually posted back in 2020 2020, during COVID. It was our COVID Mindape conference. It's the whole conference. Each of the sessions are posted on there, and there's some really great sessions on there. Um, I have my leaf blower session, so AbleNet switch switch work in there and all the things that I do with that. Um, Just a lot of different... Um, speakers and presenters um, from 2020. And so things that come up, we definitely post on there and that's a really great resource. So I wanted to share that with you. Just search Mindape in the search box. Um, Okay, so here are a few of the TikTok things that I have shared and I decided to just pull them in because I think they're just really easy like switch outs and hacks. So we all have like just the regular Frisbees or whatever. Um, But some of our students just really struggle to like grip and and hold and claps and all the things that that we do with Frisbees and try and teach. And so I'm hoping it. There's some fun. You just swap it out like so this. This cute little it's like it's kind of grippy. I'll play it again in a second, but it's got grips around the outside and it's really floppy. Um, but it also flies because the outer edge actually has like sand or some kind of like weight in there to help it go. So I'll show it one more time. The with the Swap it out. So it's a flyer. I can't remember the whole name, but it's got flyer in the name. If anyone knows, throw it in the chat. Um, but th- those are definitely like my favorite Frisbees for ki- when kids are struggling. The the okay, the next one is um, we were in a pickleball unit and like I use this for badminton too and my students were really super duper struggling with um, hitting the wiffle ball for pickleball and so I just wanted to show you another kind of voiceover and um, adaptation that I used for this one so that one so you heard me say I got it from Menards it was like two dollars and I bought like two or three of them and I found that those balls are such a great replacement for, um, for pickleball because pickleball is getting to be so big. I don't know how about you guys, but it's, it's getting to be big around here. Um, and so we find that it adds a little extra weight and bounce and time for kids to, to line up and do that. Um, this I'm not going to push play at because you can see what it is already. But our friends with autism and our friends with intellectual disabilities really, really Need sometimes to 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 know where their feet need to go, um, visually. And so, one thing that um, that I saw, I think it was in New York, um, was just a whole bunch of yoga mats cut up into these strips like surfboards, and um, they'll just say left and right, and you just hop on the board and get ready to throw. So this is like the the getting ready, the preparatory phase for throwing. I've also talked to Randy Spring and he's actually used like little, the little puzzle play mats and he puts feet on those and then he can kind of adjust and rearrange them. Um, So that was one that I put out kind of at the beginning when I started putting putting TikToks out. Um, This next one is I don't have to play it, but it's just, it's a voiceover about all the different types of equipment that I use for badminton. I do have a later one down here. If I have, if I have time to get to it um, for tennis and badminton and all like the racket sports, but I love just seeing how students can be successful with different things. So here's another playground ball. We've got the short neck rackets, regular long necks. And then I have this giant um, badminton birdie that I found at five below. So if you have that store <laughs> near you, it's it's the bomb for adaptive PE equipment. Um, and then these speed mitten rackets, they have been so trustworthy <laughs> the last probably 10 years that I've had them. Um, and so just switching out some of those equipments has been really helpful for me um, in helping students be successful. Let's see this one, oh, this one was just like one of the trends and how we love doing different things as adaptive PE teachers, (laughs) being, being the ones at Walmart that will grab all of the equipment that we love. And um, so that was kind of a trend that went around to TikTok. And I thought it was really funny because adaptive PE teachers, when you find something you want to find and get all the things and bring all the things. So I had definitely two carts worth of those big playground balls. They're like, I mean, they're not, not as big as they're bigger than the Menards ones, So they're like really, really big. Um, I love them for volleyball. I love them for, um, what else do I use them for? Four square or anything above the head striking. It slows everything down. My students who are in general education that are in unified with me, they love playing with this ball even rather than the volleyball. And they're like juniors and seniors. It makes it so much more fun. Um, then just a couple of quick things that I like to do when we have a student in a chair. Let's let's even the score and, uh, and kind of level the playing field a little bit and put our friends in a rolly chair and see what happens. Um, I've done this with basketball and it also increases the empathy of the person that they're playing with and being like, hey, that's really hard. My my arms are tired and I'm like, yeah. What if that was every day? Like that's what our friend does and they're like, oh, you know. So a little bit of disability awareness in those things. And then um, we talked about visuals with kasha i'm just going to zone in on a couple of visuals i'm just going to check my time here to make sure I got about a minute and a half we're good. So here are some visuals that I like to use, so if you have a reader um, we have some expectations. When you have the expectations, it reduces the amount of questions that you need to answer every day. What are we doing today? What do I need to do? What's next? Um, and then I made a visual workout within the expectations and a checkoff. And then the data I collected was, did we do all of our expectations? And those are standard based and all the things that she's working on. Um, so here's another example. Some of our friends need edibles between every single step to have the reward system. And so this, has gotten me from um, him sitting in a chair to him actually passing a soccer ball, moving through space. It's really like mind blowing um, for what he's been able to do. And then this is just a quick check off. Sometimes we just need to know where we're going next. And then we have a quick draw stick <laughs> stick person and to help us move throughout our PE experience. And again, here's all the equipment that I use for those racket sports, it's been super helpful. Um, so just, Yarn balls, even bean bags and the big playground balls and sitting from a chair is fun too. So I wanted to share that one and just some reflection ideas, you know, make it visual is what I'm trying to get at and thumbs up, thumbs down. I liked it. You know, by the end of their high school experience, you want to have lists of activities that they enjoy doing outside of that. So that is what I got. We're up to Katie. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen.
0: I snagged it back. Are we back? good?
2: Yes, we're
0: good. Thank you so much, uh, Yeah, those were great. And also I should say that uh, this Google slide will be um, on the Nickpeed website. So if you liked some of the visuals that were shown here that you can see them um, on the Nickpeed website, We'll, we'll put those up after the presentation today. All right, and our next APE Teacher of the Year, we have Katie Smith from Rock Creek School in Frederick County, Maryland. She's been teaching for nine years, four years general physical education, five years adapted PE, and she's certified in physical education, health, and special education. Um, Some of her accolades, she was the 2022 Shape America Eastern District APE Teacher of the Year, the 2020 Shape Maryland Adapted PE Teacher of the Year 2019, FC, so I guess that's Frederick County um, Public School Teacher of the Year semifinalist, and she's a certified personal trainer and yoga teacher. So thank you so much, Katie, for
3: sharing your expertise. Thank you. Oh, hey, Dean. Um, so it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Um, and Jen and Kasha have so much awesome stuff to share. Um, I do teach in a very different setting than the two of them. So it's always been fun presenting together because we are talking about just kind of uh, very different environments. Um, So I teach in a self-contained school for students with the most severe special needs. And I teach ages three to twenty one. So, again, I'm in Maryland And what I like to talk about, and this is a presentation that I've given a lot, and I feel really passionately about this, is how to teach manipulative skills to students with diverse needs, specifically the physical ones is what I touch most on. Um, And I'm basically just going to give the highlights of it today. So this is like an hour presentation that I've just kind of like plucked 10 minutes out of, sort of. So I have my timer going too, because I also... uh, talk a lot. That's why we get along. Um, So (laughs) I am going to highlight the skills specifically of catching, throwing, and striking with hands, otherwise known as volleying. But I just say striking with hands. Um, I'm going to talk about just something I call the essence of each skill. And it's basically this whole thing is to how to give all of your students credit for what they can do, even if they're not traditionally performing the skill at its fullest most traditional capacity. Um, so students with cerebral palsy who might not have a lot of movement, what can you give them credit for? Because I'm not one that would just be okay with saying, oh, she can't do it. Well, what can she do? What what, what element of it can she do? I'm also going to talk about my um, the continuums that I've made of what I call pre-critical elements and the magic words for each skill. So like the communication aspect of like what vocabulary should you be highlighting of each skill and then just common adaptations because why not so uh real quick uh i'll talk about uh what i mean by diverse needs you can go to the next one melissa thank you um kind of like what i was saying before it's just the kiddos with the more severe orthopedic disabilities more medically fragile kids and kids lot of the time that need mobility support, like wheelchairs, walkers, gait trainers, what have you. Um, So I'll just kind of start with the skill of catching. So um, this again is how to give your students credit for what they can do instead of just saying, oh, she can't, You know, catch a ball. Well, what element of catching can they try to do? Um, A lot of the time, this is also these small, micro elements of catching that I record and report on their IEPs. Um, Parents love that to know what part of each skill their child can do um, instead of just saying that they can't. So, catching, by definition, the essence of it is to obtain an item. Um, To teach it, I say, "Hands up, look and catch." My students are very cognitively um, a lot you know, way below their grade level. And so I really try to uh, just give them the essentials. And so hands up, look and catch. We've seen the common adaptations a lot of the time. I will highlight, we all love balloons because it lowers the reaction time necessary to catch something and they're light. Um, but also I started using Velcro vests and bibs this year a lot where I put the fuzzy Velcro on them, um, kind of Velcro it on, make sure they're okay with it. Uh, If they're smiling, I just go ahead with it, and then I put the spiky Velcro on the ball. So if you toss it to them, it'll kind of stop, give them a chance to put their hands on it. So they're still performing the essence of the skill. You're just slowing it down. Um, So we can go to the next slide. And this is what I have created for, I would say, 15 manipulative skills at this point. Um, I know it might seem kind of silly. I've watermarked these just because I am eventually going to put these into a resource. So I watermark them for distribution in the meantime, but, uh, for catching. So I've made these, they're not perfect, but it's just kind of what I got going so far. Um, for catching, if you start on the left, that is just the most basic element of catching that I have thought of. And then all the way to the right is the more traditional form of catching as we know it after that. So after that right box is when I would start worrying more about the actual critical elements of catching, you know, um, Hands up, you know, thumbs, pinkies, that kind of stuff. Everything before it that you see right here is what I'm calling pre critical elements because students who don't have as much uh, physical and orthopedic independence, these are elements of catching that as you go farther right, it's closer to the true, like form of catching that we know. So what can you do that can lead up to catching that you can give your students credit for? So starting again on the left, can they visually track an item? Can they reach their hand out toward it? Can they grasp it? Now this might be I put an asterisk because this might be a fine motor element that some students might have extra issue with. Um, So there's a little star on that one. Um, Are they trapping the ball that's stationary or moving? And then all the way to the right, are they traditionally catching against their body or with just their hands? And again, after that box all the way to the right is when I would really start worrying about your skill checklist that general education would traditionally assess the students as. I'm working all the way here to the left because I have students with cerebral palsy and what have you that I'm just trying to give them credit for what they are doing. And it's amazing to see students that were just visually tracking for a while start reaching. And from one year to another, the parents love to see that progress because that is progress to them. That's huge. And so if they can try to wrap their fingers around something, that's huge. And I am lucky to work closely with the PTs and OTs in my school. I know not every school has that, but just the general principle of giving them credit for what they can do is so important and it's so encouraging and just like magical for the parents. Um, I'll be a little quicker with the next two because now I've explained sort of what the continuum is. Uh, I sort of lumped throw, pass and roll into one because the essence of all of those is moving an item toward a desired target. I made up all these terms, I don't know if the essence is kind of silly, but that's to me what that is, because once I can drill it down to the essence, it sort of opens up opportunities to create adaptations that are just get the ball over there. How can I get the ball over there? And so the magic words I use for that are hold, look, let go or hold, look, push or hold, look, whatever you might say. We know common adaptations right here. None of these are too crazy or anything. So I'll just, you know, keep one going. Um, And I do make a note that leaf blowers are awesome. I use them. I used it today. Um, But I do like to note that there is a certain element of making sure that you are slowing down to see what they can do as independently as possible before you go to that stuff. So like today I was working on striking with a long handled implement. I end the year with baseball. So I was trying to see how much of that they can do independently. And then I was having them hit a button with a bat and then it would shoot the you know, ball into the field. So you really do have to make sure that you're also assessing what they can independently do. And then the leaf blower stuff's awesome, because it makes them more a part of the actual game. So they're both important. Um, And Melissa, we can go to the next. So this one, again, I made all these, I'm sure I'll change them as the years go on. But the, um, thank you very much. Um, this is the throw and pass continuum that I've created. So are they visually tracking and you can even like cut that down into two sections. Are they locking eyes with something stationary and are they visually tracking something that's moving and are they visually tracking something that's moving high low like even each level of this can be narrowed down. Are they letting go of something? Again, that's a fine motor element that might be iffy for some kiddos. Um, Reach and then release. Um, Are they projecting something? And then are they traditionally throwing? So this is just kind of how I assess and this is what I report on my students IEPs but I have been presenting this topic for about two years now and I have gotten a good response from this stuff so I think I'm going to try to put it into a whole resource uh we can go to the next one um I love teaching volleyball because I think there's a lot within that skill like it's just like a real like like rich one to work on like otpt stuff um the essence of striking with your hands is Okay. I'm I'm, I'm so ADD, guys. I'm reading comments. All right. The essence of striking with hands is contacting an object with the intent to create forward motion. I always say hands up, look, and hit. I say hit because it's the easiest thing for my kids to understand. Yes, hit usually has a negative connotation, but we'll just retrain them to hit when they're supposed to. So that's what I always say at school. Um, And so common adaptations... Love tether balls, love balloons, anything to reduce reaction time. And then I use the same cues when I do tennis um, because all you have to do is add the word hold and the cues are pretty much the same. And I always put this little guy on the right, sorry, in the last one because I work on look and reach. I have this sensory fireworks program on a screen in my gym because it just works on intentional reaching with my guys that don't have tons of independent movement. Um, So yeah, the continuum for striking with hands is always starts with visual tracking, reaching, pushing with no backswing. So that's kind of how I distinguish push from strike. And then are they doing an intentional backswing? And then are they striking a moving item? And so... That level uh, push to strike is tricky to make that jump from because getting a kid to make an intentional backswing sometimes is just a real weird movement to try and encourage. But again, this is how I assess these. And these are very much uh, a living, breathing document. I change them all the time because I just kind of, you know, don't like my own ideas sometimes. And I'm like, oh, this would be better if I put this on here or whatever. Um, And I'm just going to, I mean, I attached all of these with the watermark and we can kind of blip through these. I won't go overboard with these, but I have one for dribbling with hands, dribbling with feet. And so it all boils down to what is the essence of all of these dribbling with feet is to basically move while moving the ball with you, move while dribbling the ball with your hands. Um, And so once you really narrow it down to the essence, it's like you can really do so much from there um, dribbling with foot. Um, and then the next one is striking with a short handled, or no striking with a long handled implement. Uh, I also have a baseball one, but I think I just attached the hockey one. I actually just made this one last week. Um, a lot of my kids do it with one hand though. Um, and then just to, I mean, obviously we all want to advance these skills. It's not like you just assess it once and it's like, Oh, they're on level three forever. Um, data collection, I always do skill practice at the beginning of class. Um, Obviously we know make the goals challenging yet realistic, determine what needs to be consistent yet differentiated. That's just adapted PE in and of itself. Um, And then obviously wait time, I go hundred miles an hour. So that's really been the most challenging thing for me in my five years in adapted is like, I gotta slow down sometimes and let them process what I'm saying. And I have to remind myself to do that. And I think the whole like, to use the word essence again, the whole essence of this topic that I am so passionate about is that I'm just trying to catch them doing something good and help them do more good things and make more progress. And I think the next slide is my last one. I just, uh, I'm really big on communication supports. That could be a whole other presentation. I'm super big on just posting core vocabulary everywhere, um, collaborating with uh, service providers, And then just kind of making sure that the paras and assistants in your class are, um, you know, on your side and they feel appreciated and they'll be your best friends and biggest supporters and they save my life most of the time. Mine are amazing. But yeah, um, what, how much time did I go? Was it bad? Did I go over? No, not at all. All good. Cool. Oh, great. No, I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> no, you're perfectly fine. No worries. No worries. Okay. Um, all right. At this time, we will open it up for any questions to our APE Teachers of the Year. All right, Melissa. Yeah, I- Barry, go ahead.
4: So... What, um, I guess, uh, topics or strategies would you share with um, professionals who are training AP teachers, you know, in higher ed to be future teachers? What do you think are some areas that we should really be emphasizing that perhaps when you uh, graduated that you weren't, you didn't feel like you were prepared for? Um, and, I, I, you know, Jen and Kasha and Katie, I'll just open it up to three. And I thought you did a great job presenting. And and, But um, I think that would be helpful to us, uh, people who are in the ivory towers, right?
2: Yeah, I'll go first. Um, making and creating visuals. I had no idea. Like, um, I am, am still learning how to use visuals. Like, so um, I'd say that was a really big thing. Um, using, um, like, for teaching students with autism, I really struggled with um, just, like, the differences and, like, reward-based systems and things like that, Um, because each kid is so unique, Um, so I, I struggle with that, so I think just teaching students how to teach students with autism, honestly, like, I know that's that's huge, but I really think that's a thing. Um, I also think, just from a soul perspective, teaching teaching those incoming teachers uh, that they are enough because this is hard. We all know that this is really, really hard, um, but they have what it takes, and um, just to to fill those kids with encouragement to just keep going. Um, we need we need professionals that are going to replace us when we're gone and. Um, we know that we're in a teacher shortage right now. So I just really think um, mentoring, finding, ha- having them find people to fill them up with good stuff. Um, I think that's a really big thing too.
0: Great, Katie, Kasha.
1: Yeah, um, I'll just add to that. I think um, when I came through, was finished with my credential program, I feel like I was very, very well-prepared but the one thing that's really hard to like authentically prepare, and I will say this admitting, I don't really have a great solution for it, but, um, behaviors, it's really hard. Like we can talk about behaviors and behavior management in like a theoretical way in a classroom but until you're in it with that kid in that huge, you know, um, behavior cycle. It's really, really hard to, to feel prepared for that until you've done it. Um, So I would definitely say that that behavior piece, even though I felt very prepared, I had even a great university that had like a hands-on kind of uh, motor development clinic on campus, but it tended to be kids that were higher functioning that didn't have those big behaviors. And so that was, I
0: think the one thing that I was
1: less prepared to handle when I came in.
0: And of course, very loves talking about behaviors. (laughs) I put in the chat, he and Ron French and Hester Henderson wrote a textbook on behavior management, physical education. So of course I had to plug that for Barry. So I put that in the chat. Check that out if you haven't. It is is a great resource. That's
3: awesome. I'm going to check that out for sure. Um, I will say too, um, I agree with the behavior management piece. Um, I have, you know, kiddos with severe behaviors every day. And it, yeah, it's very much on the job training a lot of times, um, very much, but I will definitely, I mean, that resource sounds really awesome. Um, Another thing that I have found that is very much on the job training that at least in my case was, but I feel like I was initially trained as a general ed physical education teacher and my adapted credentials came later Um, But I wish I would have had more training and prep beforehand of how incredibly important communication supports and vocabulary supports are for students with special needs, because a lot of the time especially students with intellectual disabilities, it's not that they physically can't do it. It's that they might just not understand what you're asking them to do. And so that consistent language and bridging those gaps is just such a crucial piece of it that I didn't feel prepared and know how to do all the core vocab and the board maker and the symbols and all the the Velcro that was all on the job training for me I was like what is this world with all this lamination and Velcro and like whoa, and I just kind of dove in head first and I feel like a pro at it now but. I just think how important language and vocabulary is for students with special needs, like that makes a world of difference. My gym is completely covered in like, piece, you know, symbols and the unit of the month or whatever. There's just pictures of what we need to do. And I just think I would have liked more training on that ahead of time, because now five years in, I feel like it's going great, but I would have liked to be more prepped on it for sure. Uh, what is, I'll follow up
0: to that. What's your top resource then for making visuals? And this can go to all three of you. What do you like to utilize?
3: I use Boardmaker and then make my own. Yeah, I do. Um, I'll
2: actually take a picture with my phone and then print it off in color. So then it's the actual visual of the actual thing. Um, and then I use clip art. Yeah. I use my own. I make my own too. I use Google.
1: Google images aren't always awesome though. So sometimes I take my own pictures. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do, I have heard really good things about simple sticks though. Um, so I, I have heard that that's a really good one. I just haven't gotten into it yet. So I'm, I'm excited
0: to look into that more. And Katie, definitely. Oh, go ahead, Barry.
4: I just follow up. Well, go ahead, finish with that, and then I'll, i I was gonna,
0: yeah, say Katie, definitely put your um, your um, diet, your, your visuals on like Teachers Pay Teachers. I think that would be a great resource, and we you know for sure share that out once you've compiled it. Thank you. Okay, go ahead, Barry.
4: Yeah, just wanted to follow up. So, you, you talked about behavior management. Could you share some strategies that you learned along the way and what you found? Uh, uh, um, You know, it could be with challenging behaviors, but also I'm really interested in how to motivate, you know, students and increase those uh, appropriate behaviors. What what do you think are some things you you feel that are important or would share learned along the way?
2: I did. So my team does a lot of like CPI. So um, like de-escalation strategies and then um, building that rapport back and care after um and we also have another program that uses mats and the mats are just out and I can't remember the name of Yuki-ro. it you can you yeah we just got trained in that we um haven't. but that's like for the explosive behaviors um I would say just sensory we use a lot of sensory breaks um Katie do you want to share
3: I mean we just uh, things have changed a lot over the years um and very, very much. We are super, super focused, um, at my school on, again, the de-escalation. We've switched to you, like, you know, seclusion is not a thing anymore. Like even for the most severe things, like it's just protect with you, Kiro, um, de-escalate beforehand when possible, clear the room of the other students and keep them safe since we can't, you know, we have to do everything we can, um, you know, before anything else. Um, So really, it's just that really heavy emphasis on the de-escalation. And then if we have to, we have the pads for our own protection. But It's, it's very largely just preventative strategies, preventative strategies, like super heavy on that as much as possible. We have a crisis team at our school. I'm on the crisis team. We have level calls at our school. So we call level two support means two staff on the crisis team respond level three, support three of us level five means a runner outside. So I know to just, if it's safe, run right out of the gym and control the perimeter, um, So we have level calls, we have maps of the building so that we have those quick responses. Um, And yeah, it's just also just knowing your kids. Yeah, Barry always
0: told the statement about the first question you ask is where you pick up your paycheck. The second question you need to ask is where do you get trained on nonviolent forms of physical restraint or CPI, etc.
4: Which is kind of interesting because when I, I talk to a lot of teachers, it, it could be they could be in there a year or two and they still haven't gone through training. It kind of blows my mind. Like, yeah.
1: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It sometimes is, I, I think that should be the first thing. And it's usually not, I think when, when I came into teaching, I was really great with like the reinforcement schedules and the token economy systems and things like that. But the things that I learned more like in-depth training on was like finding antecedents, like what are the things that trigger these kids? And I think one of a big game changer for me with behavior was understanding that behavior arc where like, they can't learn when they're up here. So stop trying, like just you, you can't, you can't provide instruction. You can't provide like that kind of content to them while they're in it. And even right after, and it's like, you've got to wait until we level out back at baseline, like that kind of information, I think was really game changer for me with behaviors. Cause I'm a fixer. I want to fix everything. I want to get in there and I want to help. And It was like, oh, I'm causing more harm than good. Yeah. Okay. never mind. <laughs>
3: and, and I think, I think too, like to build on that, like, I would say most of my students are nonverbal. And so just always remembering behavior is a form of communication. Um, so it's my first question is always, what do you need? um it's just like what are you what are they trying to tell us right now um so it's keep the other kids safe what do you need like obviously before that preventative but if it's already happening then but yeah
4: great points like if they're screaming they're telling they're trying to tell you something because yeah.
3: they're non sure that's just my first my first question i go with open hands to protect myself but also look welcoming what do you need like that's just okay i know dean had a question
0: yeah dean thanks for being patient
5: oh there I... we go <laughs> there we go and so katie yay <laughs> and so i remember when you introduced the uh essence of the skill and everything back up of, of couple of years ago or so, I think at MAPEC or something along the lines of, and I was like, yes, this is great. I'm glad you're keeping up with it. It's great. Thank you. Um, I was wondering um, uh, for for uh, the students or AP student, I'm sorry, university students or uh, new teachers coming out, what are your, uh, let's say, three go-to resources um, if you would like some of your favorite resources and stuff that you've uh, uh, that you've utilized and stuff that maybe you'd shared with others as well and such to be able to um, I, I don't know, uh, uh, create lessons, solve a particular challenge. Um, uh, we started to touch on them a little bit. And I was just wondering what were some of your um, uh, favorite resources that you've used?
3: Um, I don't know if this is the traditional answer, the one I should be saying first and foremost, but I just have to say that Twitter is amazing for professional development um, and sharing resources. I just, I got into the profession at the right time because the it, adapted PE Twitter is just popping all the time and it's awesome. So if I'm looking for ideas on something, Twitter is just such a great place. Um, I do look at PE Central a lot, but my students are so developmentally in like the very, very young, um, at least like cognitively stage. I'll take some of the younger lessons, but very bare bones and like extrapolate it from there. So there's not really an extensive adapted PE section on there, but right. sometimes I'll just get it to jog my memory and then I'll just kind of, you know, go nuts from there. Um, but I love that my first answer was Twitter. Um Kasha, Jen, what do you think? Twitter <laughs> was going to be my was. first answer. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Beacha, <laughs> I
1: think that I I think that besides what Katie mentioned, um, I find my professional cup gets filled the most when I attend conferences and workshops. I think that that authentic connection with other professionals, with going to sessions and hearing from people. Um, it's just, I come from a very small district. So for nine years, I was the only adapted PE teacher in my district. So I had no one else to really bounce ideas off of. So going to conferences has really been my outlet and my source for professional development. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Twitter and it's more accessible, more consistently. But when you have those opportunities to attend conferences in your area, Um, please take them. It's such a great way to get professional development and connect with people so that you also have people resources to go to when you have questions and when you need that support.
2: Yeah, I was going to say Twitter first and foremost, and then (laughs) it's funny, I know. Uh, But I don't think there's one specific like physical resource that I've actually depended on. It's always been people. It's always been the connecting um, between my MINDAPE friends and now our teacher of the year group. And now the people that I've met at all these conferences I've attended, it's always been the people sharing what they do. And so I wouldn't, I don't, I don't have like a physical resource that I really depend on. I mean, Twitter really quick to share. but it's really just been people and going to conferences. So I agree with that.
5: Sure. Um, I appreciate that because, uh, and just to follow up real quick, Melissa, sorry, I don't want to- Oh, it you're be, good. Um, um, I was going to say that um, I was setting up for my session right after, um, and Jeff Watkins and I, who's in uh, Maryland and stuff, who does an amazing job and stuff though with the assistive technologies and such, Um, I helped him set up his session and mine was right after like five minutes after. So we were putting my stuff on the side and everything and stuff. So as I was going and helping him set up, we were trying things out and I go, wow, that's a great idea. Or do you know what, Jeff, this is, this is really good, but maybe you could extend it with a plate switch and you can do this. And he's like, Oh, that's a great idea. And so, so, so actually I keep in contact with Jeff um, uh, back and forth because we welcomed in our lab this year in our teaching lab um uh students with we've always had that but we had uh three different working groups this year and one of them we have a um like i one of you said before that in in your classes and stuff you tend to have students with higher functioning skills and such and that, and you didn't have the challenging skills and we built our lab into three different working groups this year that had students with high functioning skills. Our game strategies group. Students who could easily be included in their general physical education classes. And then we had the skill development group, or those with intermediate functioning skills, and then um, who worked a lot in the station format and such, and and worked on the essence, acquiring the essence of the skills, if you will. And then um, and then we had our students with um, uh, uh, very low functioning skills and such, and. Um uh definitely a lot that were um that were not or mobile through the use of wheelchairs. Uh most of them were don't self-ambulate, had to be pushed, and um they needed a lot of hand over hand work and such and physical prompting and such. And that's where the assistive technology really really came into play. And I was able to collaborate with some human resources and using some human resources and stuff in that case, like Jeff and stuff, and we kind of came up with some things together. And had students who were actually with very, very little movement actually playing baseball in our opening day lab in April and such. So it was really cool to be able to do that. So I think that you find also within the field um, individuals that have um, some of these niches or specialty areas stuff that they're working on, and maybe you can connect and also maybe connect that way as a human resource, if you will. All right.
0: Thanks, yeah, thank you. We maybe have time for one more quick question if someone has anything.
2: Yeah, go What's ahead, Jess. One favorite piece of equipment. Do I have oh, can I pick one? Oh geez. Um, Jess is gonna make me think. Okay, so if I'm going towards the everyday equipment, I'm gonna go with polyspots. Um, if I am going for the every once-in-a-while favorite equipment, it's the big playground balls that I shared about. Definitely. Or like yarn balls, just different like balls.
3: Um, hi Jess. Um Marilyn represent. Um, I was just gonna say that, oh, here's my five-year-old. Hold on, baby. Okay, sorry. <laughs> he says hi. Um I honestly would say, and this is going to sound super simple, but, uh, Mylar foil balloons, um, just because it, Kasha, did I steal yours? Mine. Dang it. (laughs) (laughs) We're so like low tech. We're like balloons. Um, honestly, Mylar balloons. And I say Mylar because I have medically fragile kiddos. And so I don't use latex at school just in case. And then the Mylar ones are shiny. Um, but I get them at the dollar store. They don't last super long. If I use them for like volleyball or good grief tennis, they just get destroyed in a couple of days. But um, Mylar balloons, scarves, I actually use scarves a ton. That would be my number two for just visual tracking and grasping. Um, I also use scarves if I need to add like an extra attachment to the parachute. If the kiddos aren't grasping the handle, they have the scarf um, or you can even in a safe way, like attach it to um, something to help them hold it. And so scarves are really versatile. So anything slow floating that can reduce uh, reaction time.
2: Hey, Katie, while you're on the topic of like scarves and like parachute. So I I figured this out. This was my big, like mind blowing moment of the year. Mm -hmm. If you have like a therapy band, I know maybe there's like latex or whatever, but we have like stretch bands, therapy bands in Mm -hmm. our weight room. I connected that to our parachute um handle mm-hmm. and then we have kids in chairs who if the whipping gets really hard then it's just that and then oh, you like have yours. kids with sensory issues and they're pulling this way instead mm-hmm. oh my gosh it's been fun so i just i, like I thought that. of that while you were talking that was my big I adaptation like this jen year. if you get the i think i forget what i had to look it up but it's like basically the camping extender strip so it's the the buckle don't get the velcro ones but the one with the buckle i found that if you buckle those onto some of your friends, especially the ones that have low grasp and you give them a little bit of distance so they have room it gives them that wait time so that when you're floating a parachute, they can actually hold on and it don't get ripped out of their hands. So same idea, but it doesn't have as much of the stretch and you can attach it to different points. So if they, depending on where they can reach, it's kind of connected more where they can reach a little bit more and have that movement. So yeah, um, I found that even like the big like hip extenders for like backpacks those ones are pretty good too for a little bit wider but just the buckle straps I've I've got a bucket of those that they're fun for so many different things
3: That's awesome. I I will add my number I don't know if we were individually supposed to do three but I'm 3 Katie you're,
0: three, Katie. you're
1: three. At
3: like 10 <laughs> items later. Um I'm just on a roll right now. So another thing I used for um this year that was just like a total just light bulb moment. I think I shared this with you guys, Jen and Kasha, but I um, cut tube socks so that it's just the tube part. And then my kiddos that don't have a lot of movement in their hands, I put the tube sock around their hand. It's not anything squeezy. It's comfortable for them. And then you put the tennis racket or whatever it is in their grip and the sock helps to just hold it on their hand so as long as it's something light and it's not something that's going to like weigh their hand down the tube sock is super easy it doesn't constrict their hand and it's been helping with just like fine motor and grip and stuff like that so they can just be a part of the game instead of worrying about dropping or whatever that's been helpful socks
1: All right. Well, Jen took my polyspot one and Katie took my balloon one. So my other one, I guess, I guess I get three, too. then, um, <laughs> is I have a portable net system that comes apart, puts in a bag and I can cause I go to five schools. And so I am able to still do net games with that net system and I can lower it down low. If we're seated, I can put it up higher. I love that net. It's awesome. And it, Goes in a bag that just goes over my shoulder and it's like manageable. So that's a good one. Do you
0: happen to know the the brand?
1: It's a Gopher product. It's their ultra net portable net system. Yeah, the it. alternate.
2: Mm-hmm. I love the alternate too. Yeah. We do seated volleyball with it, it's great. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. And I know Kasha also, because you mentioned balloons earlier, talked about a pump for blowing up balloons that you really liked. Was that you, Kasha, that posted on that? No, somebody else. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that that
3: might have been Katie. That's oh, okay. me. I use <laughs> I use straws, and then I, cause I don't do helium like you just fill it with your own air. Um, hello, and that's my assistant. Um, just straws or just like one of those like beach ball pumps that you use with your foot. It fits right into where like the opening is on the foil balloon. All right.
0: Again, thank you so, so much to Jen, Akasha, Katie. Wealth of knowledge, much, much appreciated. Fantastic presentation. Thank you all very, very much. Um, also just wanted to share if any of you are interested in getting your um, CAPE certification, we are, Nick Pete is hosting an APEN study group. It's always the last Thursday um, of the month and here for May, I, I put in the chats the Zoom meeting, so that'll happen here in about an hour, and I believe they're on standard four. They do like gamification, so play like look at games or Kahoot games uh, to learn the different standards. So our Long Beach State scholars are hosting that monthly uh, through Nickpeed if you want to study, and then obviously uh, take that APENs exam to get CAPE certified. So again. Thank you all for joining us today. Uh, the collaborative will be back next academic year, uh, which will be you know, 22, sorry, 2023, 2024. Here we go. And also I will put in the chat if you are interested in suggesting any recommended topics. So thank you all again, much, much appreciated. Until next time, bye all.